Welcome to a special episode of Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones LCG podcast brought to you by Alex, John, and Sean. We'd like to thank FFG and Card Game DB for their continued support, and the fantastic AGOT community as a whole for being the sole reason we do this cast. Thank you for letting us take you once again Beyond the Wall. And we're back. We're back after quite a break. Yeah, we're back. We're happy to be here. It's me, you, Sean, and the mountain, right? The, the mountain doesn't speak anymore. No, but he's just hanging out. He's having a couple beers, killing people, crushing the world, doing what he does normally. Did I ever tell you guys that my uncle flew next to the mountain? Well, I mean, everyone flies next to the mountain. No, no, no. That's like literally flying back from Scotland for a funeral. Yeah, uh, no, that makes sense. A funeral. Yeah, okay. I can see that. I mean, he's that place. large. Everyone is always flying next to the mountain. <laughs> anyway. And he attends a ton of funerals. So, I mean, this is making a lot of sense to me. It's always killing people. Uh, I should never have brought this up. Well, um, we're back. We're what a, what a time to be back. Uh, we're wait, wait, wait. Just probably you, you guys are. You know, no, Beth once let's, let's had a new mountain game. experience. I'm just. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're back. Never mind. I'm I'm suddenly less excited about us being back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I imagine so. You uh, you two are going to Gen Con, so you guys must be in pre Gen Con mode right now, no? Uh, yeah, we got the big build group thing going on on the 29th at my place but uh, before that we're, we're looking at different builds for sure mm-hmm. i'm finding it's actually a, a lot of unexpected decks emerging over the last little while i just like today the day we're recording came back from a game night session where i got a chance to play with two decks that performed quite well in france and that i adjusted one was a martel deck with no nymeria and another was a targ deck with no dracaris and i won almost every game i played with both of them and it was really really neat i'm enjoying both of those decks so yeah i find the martel deck is probably less unexpected than the the target you were talking about i find martel in general is heavy reset lots of various action so that kind of is the general trend we've been seeing with Martel. Uh, yeah, this, but there's something. Kind of there's something. Extreme. Yeah, exactly. So this is this is a uh, using the combo viper, and that's just satisfying. It's it's fun, and it uses the annals, which makes me happy. And you know, I'm like liking seeing that. And then the the targ deck is is much more knights heavy. That's true. With all looking, of targs knights, and plot it works. Wasn't nerfed into oblivion, so people might play it in there. Oh, quit your whining. I, I run. Deck. I mean, mine I run will dual never be played because it's current crap. Decks. I've, uh, I've no, seen you've made dual, a mistake then. I've seen Duel referred to in the Facebook group more than once as a trap card for bad players. I just want to let you know that, John. I hate to say, Sean, you know, when the Facebook group's right, they're right. Uh, but <laughs> well, I, I have it in two of my decks. For that. <laughs> I, it's in the Builder's deck. The Builder's deck is a good deck, and it is a good card in the Builder's deck. It has a weird place once in a while. And it is in a Martel deck that I have that is not the heavy reset deck. Didn't one of the Kims have a really good hit with Duel at the New York regional we were at? Okay, look, Didn't I want to say that, that you know I, I apologize to all the listeners uh, for the way Duel turned out. All right. Well, uh, other random news things. Uh, I think by the time people are listening to this, we'll be less than a week out from the new season of the HBO show. No, yeah, we I'm should. Pumped. Uh, We should make up uh, things about that, right? Because we've seen it in the future. 
by the time this is out. <laughs> no, 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 no. We won't have seen it oh, by the time this is out. We're not a week after. We're a week before. We're, we're, we're real time right now, Sean. Oh, okay. My- we're real time now. We're <laughs> yeah. Okay. Future's already been done, Sean. No, no, but I meant. <laughs> oh, okay. It's going to air on Monday, and Game of Thrones will be a week after that. You guys can't humor me? We can't just say, oh, it was really shocking when that character died. No. <laughs> um, to focus us a little on this intro so that we don't catch up on all the news since our last episode, I've got these little bullet points as talking points, and you guys will talk about them. Sounds good. I like this. And the, and the first one's a lie, because we're not actually going to talk about it. We will not be talking about how... Uh, Asmodee North America has new distribution model working with only one distributor, what that means for stores and, and how stores are being like platinum stores and all sorts of deals yeah, with this. Ridiculous. Well, I, I know very little about it. I'm still hoping that we'll have a clip with our favorite person to talk about that just after this. Uh, but I, I haven't secured a recording time with Patrick. So if right. we have it, That'll be great. Otherwise, we just won't talk about it. So I will go into point number two. The meta has moved a great deal. With stall decks last time we were we were recording, um, how would you guys say it's moved? And where would you say it is now? Oh, it's into, still stall decks. Yeah, into the, the most stall decks possible? Yeah. Well, no, I, I mean, it was mostly... Super stall decks Like a painted, painted table type stuff. Yeah, it's still painted yeah, table that's, and that's Night's Watch. Welcome to the meta. <laughs> I mean, Night's Watch came back, though. I would, it's, it's progressed over deck. time. It's just a different version Fair. of the stall decks. Come on. No, it is. I, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I'm saying that we had stall decks, and then we had rush decks breakthrough, and then things were pretty dynamic. We got some hard control stuff like the Martell Wolf and some other things, and then the stall decks are back, right? We've got the, the, the Nationals winner. I'm sorry, the, or the, the Martell the, Wolf was like a flash in the pan, like one tournament didn't do anything after that, and stall decks have been around and stay in kicking since then right no i i would i saw most of the stall techs disappear for about a month as rush was starting to pick up like the tyrell crossings mm-hmm. that did well in spain and so on and then yeah i think we're back at stall somewhat what was with, your meta nationals i, mean, <laughs> I, I was watching change. the world's meta <laughs> i didn't see that change did you sean not at all i i think stall is still reigning king yeah. although i do like that there are some super rush decks that have a chance to before the stall decks can stall. That's a possibility. That's been added. I have to agree with Sean, but I haven't seen a, there hasn't been a big dynamic change or something over the last several months. I I think there has been, I think we just recently came back into stall decks. Even, even the, the painted table stuff, the, that is a lot less prevalent than it was then. Now the stall Mm -hmm. decks tend to work in different, different flavors. I think the painted table's back. So yeah. like, what I would say is that I think people got tired of playing a su- certain genre for a while, but then they, as we became more competitive again, they realized it really is what wins, so they went back to it. So I'd say the meta shifted for funsies for a bit. Uh, well, I disagree, but that's good. We're allowed that's to disagree. Good, yeah, we're supposed to argue about this kind of stuff. That's what it's all about. So maybe we'll disagree on this next uh, lightning point. So what I would say... Think, let's, let's finish this one. What decks do you oh. think kind of in this... You know, midterm where you think Rush and these other decks were shiny. Do you think it was the Martell deck, some high pressure decks, kind of? Or there were, and then there was a huge surge in Targ, like a massive surge if you look in the annals in both playability and QR. And oh, I, I, that touches yeah. on my next point, Targ's but I really here. do think, yeah, yeah, Targ's still here, and Targ's yeah. not a stall deck. No, but it was there during the stall time. That's what I'm kind of saying. Not like, the last Targ stall TLT time, though. Kind of sticked it out. 
Targ was not there last time we were talking stall, back when the painted table and the and the walls were the decks that were taking most of the meta at the mid-store championship season. All right, I'll agree with you that Targ might be the new player, the thing that's changed the most. Yeah, to, to be fair, that's definitely Targ now has a burn entry. Like, but Tyrell uh, has also. Tyrell was nowhere to be seen then, and then it skyrocketed quite quickly and is now one of the most consistently performing decks and the, the highest QR over the last three months, and that wasn't the case four months ago. Yeah, we talked about the rush. I mean, Ty- Tyrell started to become prominent again, I would say, with the rush decks that were running Ghosts of Harrenhal that were copying off the Spanish uh, winner, I believe it was. And I might be wrong with the deck, but that really showed us that Rush could beat these stall decks and could actually do it relatively consistently. And yes, the stall decks have evolved since then, but I, I think there was a lot of change there from the stall decks to that Rush deck breaking through to aggro being a tool to deal with those Rush decks and then back sort of to stall decks. Uh, I can't really say I didn't play in the meantime. I just saw stall came back, still stall. Yeah, you just happened to have left in the last stall phase, and and you come we back in this exact stall. same stall phase. So, <laughs> well, we've we've gone from frozen walls to summer walls, so it's a little bit different. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, point number two, I think that one of the major drivers of what has been changing has been the promise of this cycle to deliver on economy. We saw Great Hall, we saw Slavers Bay Port, and then we saw Targ skyrocket just with that card coming out and uh we're seeing martel beginning to pick up again now that they have the dornish fiefdoms those economy cards are finally giving decks the room to play yeah Mm -hmm. yeah more options i like it a lot i think these economy cards have had a significant positive impact on the game i also want to confess something i don't think i've played or built a single deck with great halls in them do you do you not like good cards? It's a good card. I just card. I've stubbornly decided to build decks with different curves and, and lower curves and was helping mm-hmm. current ones that I have. I just do not have a deck. I haven't slotted Great Hall into a deck. It is a good card. It's, no doubt about it. So it's not an auto include. That's I guess what you're 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 getting at is that you can still build decks without Great Hall. And mm-hmm. that they're still competitive and likely better off without Great Hall. And I'll give you that. I think that's a, a sign of a good design. Yeah. But I mean these other economy locations are awesome every time. Right? Yeah, the like, the fe- Dornish Fiefdom, the Underground Vault, the uh Tyrell economy that's coming out. I don't think, think the Tyrell one's particularly good. I I'm not referring to the um the two drop I'm referring to the two gold. Oh yeah, well that one and so well I guess that touches I actually had this one listed as the next thing. Oh the Thorn the Thorn box is the next one coming out. I did not see that coming. Was it not the next one in the order of uh, um, articles? The release articles? No, yeah, it was that's not. What we were basing it on. I think that was Barra would have been next. I, uh, to those Barra players out there who feel shafted, uh, you go. deserved it, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> go develop a new strategy other than Neil. Oh wait, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Dom Mel. They have these new Dom decks that are. They play very little Neil in because they use the new Mel instead of the old one. I do want to point out that this and this is probably more to do with player psychology than anything else, but with the exception of the Stark box, pretty much every box has hit as a faction is peaking. So, like the the Lanny box was during Lanny's prime. They were already in their prime before the box. 
it didn't do a huge amount to nudge that because it didn't really build on most of the decks that were already at the top. But you could say the exact same thing for the Night's Watch decks. Night's Watch decks were peaking, and then they got the Night's Watch box, which had some good cards in it and have since built new decks from it. But basically, the Night's Watch box was released during that initial phase of stall, and everyone was like, Start well, two. they picked... Mm-hmm. I would say Stark is a little iffier. Yeah, sure, maybe they were, but it was so early on, I'm, I'm not sure it's real. And I, Tyrell, as I was saying, right now has the highest qualification ratio. So I, I think it'll be peaking, it will get that box, and then... Uh, so so we should be able to predict the next one by whichever one is peaking when we expect the next announcement. So. That's what we'll do. You watch it, Alex. Shine and I will take credit. <laughs> as usual. So uh, there's actually there's another uh, little cool tidbit of trivia with House of Thorns. It is the first character who uses the same title for the third time. That's uh, there's three Marjorie Tyrells, all the same title. Oh, that is a good bit of trivia. Yeah. I'm impressed, Sean. Thank you. I, I'm. Uh, Sean, it saddens me you noticed this. I'm the winner of the uh, a, uh, podcast, the, the college trivia thing. Oh, that's fr- you did win the little trivia thing. The little trivia thing. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I want to be as, condes- as condescending as possible. <laughs> and, and Roy was there, too, for the first uh, half. All right. Next thing I want to talk about is sort of linked across two points, but basically there were big new tournaments for the first time. I mean, U.S. Nationals happened in Seattle for the first time. European Championships happened in Birmingham. Things were a bit different, like U.S. Nationals got a best of three. Through U.S. Nationals, uh, we have to bid farewell to a community member that we've known and loved. Second place Seth is no longer a part of this community. And he shared his deck afterwards, so he's really, definitely Mm -hmm. not the same person. you haven't heard? That actually wasn't Seth the Plate. So what a lot of people don't know is uh, Bob is actually Seth's twin brother. He played also a great <laughs> and doesn't, player. doesn't choke in finals. <laughs> doesn't choke in finals, and actually shares his deck. He's not part of DC. They gave him the deck this time because Seth really pushed Corey to do so. But Bob, uh, you're going to see him around, and I don't know how much we're going to see of Seth now. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of pretty sad after playing for years and not really getting there, and then Bob plays for one year and then takes it down. That's what um, it is. I yeah. see. Just there's a weird sick part of me. Going, Bob. That really enjoys the thought of people seeing Seth at a tournament and calling him Bob the entire time. <laughs> and he has no idea what's going on because he doesn't listen to this podcast. That's right. Otherwise, <laughs> if you were savvy in Charza, he he'd wear a t-shirt that said Bob or something. It would yeah, be perfect. But yeah, that, that was first U.S. Nationals, first European Championships that wasn't Stalic. It's a big, big change in how these things are handled. And people who went generally had very good things to say about them. The playmat sketches that they did for U.S. Nationals were phenomenal. They had the community participating in, like, helping shape the playmat prizes, which was a lot of fun. Being able to do a best of three for a final, you know, avoided second place Seth staying second place Seth, so I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I I like the idea of best of three finals. I think that, that at least ensures that there should be a game there that is really a very interesting game and you get to see something different with the plot game, but it's true that it's, I don't know. There's a lot of debate around scouting and all these other things. And at least a best of three somewhat minimalizes that. And that you certainly don't have those concerns as much. Do we know if Seth had won his first game? He lost his first game. Okay. So that's, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the curse of the first match for Seth. (laughs) 
That's all it is. Uh, Bob, sorry. I mean, yeah, we're just yeah. Oh, Bob, that was Bob. In the Thanks, final. Alex. Like seriously, <laughs> it's not fair to Bob. Okay. <laughs> Next big thing that we cannot avoid talking about, even though it's not directly Thrones related, L five R at Gen Con. Yeah, we can. So Next. seven seven hundred and four seats. No one cares. Next. FFG hasn't hosted a single game event of that size ever. X-Wing's no biggest was 414, Stalic was some 286, and it's the largest LCG event I know of. This is 704. I care. I'll be there. I care. I mean, Are you saying you should stop playing Thrones and just get into L5R? No, that's it's got, it's that's the game not, of choice now. You no. I'm a good community. Is this game dying, Alex? Panic! Panic! <laughs> I, I think this is it's really interesting that there's that many people latching onto L5R for whatever the reasons are, and maybe it'll be a shit game and they'll all come over to Thrones. It'll be fantastic. Maybe it'll be a great game, and there's enough overlap with Thrones that it'll just grow my L- local LCG scene, and that's great. But 704 is impressive. That is, it's not just a slight margin bigger than anything they've done before. It's a huge margin. I don't like math. It's a slight margin. It's al- almost double their biggest X-Wing event. Which almost. Is their biggest event. It's not double. It's just it's, not it's a slight margin. Yeah. All right. Back to Throne stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm actually very curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this. There's a, a pitch to have an ELO system for ranking Thrones players based off Jousting Pavilion. I think it's called the Isle of Ravens. So I, I think it's a neat, like, sort of fun little analytics thing, but I don't think it really means much. I think it means who has the most tournaments around them or the most time to go to tournaments. And I'm not saying that as some sort of bitter, like, I'm I'm never going to be on the top. I never expected to be. But it sort of, it also sucks because it serves as a reminder of how few tournaments there are around here. And then, and that said, of course, none of our tournaments actually get entered into any sort of ranking system. Here's the other problem. Uh, once it becomes a wide place for people to look at ratings, it's going to discourage some people from going to tournaments. Because the last thing they want to be is publicly shamed with a really sl- small ELO rating. Because you can't opt in, and you have no choice to say, yeah, uh, share my, my name and whatever it is, my ranking with everyone in the world. Some people will feel uncomfortable doing that. They'll be like, you know, I want to play an experimental deck, or maybe I'm just a horrible player at Thrones, but I enjoy playing. And I don't want everyone to know I'm a horrible player. You know, it's okay that people know I lose sometimes, but it's really bad to know I have a hundred rating or whatever it is. Like, so I, I don't like it. If we could opt in and out, I'd like it a lot more. I think that's a, that's exactly one of the points. I mean, I, one of the things I tried to avoid with the, the annals was I didn't want to start a listing player stats. So it never became a wall of shame. And that's something to, to be avoided, right? Look at who's the worst players in the world are. You know, you don't want to do that. But I, I think the more important point here is there's a lot of time where players will go to a tournament. They've already won their store championship. They won their first one. They're really good players, and they want to play jank. And most of those players won't change their behavior. But if some of them do, and some oh, of them no. just start... A lot of them will. I know I will. How about you, Sean? Yeah, I would. I would definitely. I did that um, the other year when I won the uh, the regional. Whenever I'd go to another regional, I would just I'd phone it in and I would go to hang out with people and maybe yeah. play some fun. Yeah, combo. that's no, that's what I'm saying. You, you guys yeah. are doing that. You're not going to change that behavior because the Elo system. Yes, oh, I, I would. I would absolutely because oh, now it's a ego thing. Because it's like oh, okay. well, if, I, if it affects <laughs> right. my stats globally, of course I'm going to do yeah. my best. 
even if I only get to play two games a year and I'll never get a high ELO rating, I want them to show that I'm winning in those circumstances or making the cut or whatever it is. And I won't screw around anymore like that. It, it kind of depresses me. That doesn't sound like the John I know. I am hyper competitive, Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, like, I don't know having that. a bad rating because I'm screwing around <laughs> that doesn't fit with me. Maybe I'll use a different name. Maybe I'll be Bob. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess you can you can sort of opt out by using a different alias for tournaments, yeah. but then that just makes the some of the other interesting. Yeah, yeah exactly. right. You can invent a name like maybe Joe. Joe something. Yeah. I don't know what that last name would be, though. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, so, like, the, this this type of thing, I think, promotes use of different names, which devalues it. It promotes, you know, the, sh- the wall of shame. It promotes people looking at a tournament different. I don't want people to look at tournaments different. Mm-hmm. And all they have to do is say, like, yes, follow my ELO, you know, or don't. And then people that don't want to can like just like in chess, you can play funzy games or you can play a serious game. Yeah, it's it's ranked versus not ranked is yeah. the typical terminology, and that's yeah. very similar in like uh, you know esports. If you want, <laughs> if you want to talk about esports or any of these things that normally follow a system, so just lumping in everything. And the other problem is, I was actually talking with a few people. They're like, "I'm going to have a great elo rating. I'm going to go put in twenty different games into Joystick Billion and have me win." And I'm like. Why would you do that? Like, now you're really I don't, I don't with it. think we've seen any evidence of that yet. But, Sean, we're going to still do that, right? Oh, I mean, that was my plan. <laughs> okay, good. And, and I'll put in the names of the people I don't like, so yeah. I'll, like, wreck their ELO. We're going to have this great ELO rating for <laughs> super cool JoJo. And ELO, ELO rating out. sabotage. It'll be play all game. your games against Seth Lowe in a tournament and... and uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then he'll he'll lose all his games. I, I see. You heard it now. You top twenty elo ratings on Isle of Raven or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, my, again, back to my point about the communities. It's very localized. So if your community has a lot of tournaments, you'll have a higher volume. And then if you have a smaller community with a high volume, you have a smaller pool of skill to play against, which isn't necessarily bad for the you know the people who aren't necessarily high skill, or maybe you just know them really well. Like I know your tell. I can I can beat you consistently because we play all the time. Bob always plays Lannister. I will bring a deck that beats Lannister. There you go, and and it just represents how well that individual is doing in their little pool, or how many tournaments their little pool has. Now, I, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I, just as a sort of academic question, if this only tracked regionals and higher, would you guys be okay with it? That'd be way more interesting. Yeah, way more interesting. Okay. All right. I, th- I think we're probably on the same page. All right. So I'm going to try to squeeze in an interview with Patrick Day here. And then if we have it, we have it. And if we don't, this little bit gets cut out. All right. So we are joined by Patrick Day and the occasional commentary by my son, Alistair, who is in my hands right now. That's all right. My son might also bounce on at some point. So there we go. We could, we could just replace the podcast with them talking <laughs> to each other. the actual popular hosts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm bringing you on to, to attempt to understand two new changes since we last spoke. The first is uh, and we sort of talked about the potential that this might happen in some form last time, and then we cut it from the cast. Uh-huh. But uh, basically that Asmodee North America was switching to a single distributor model. And yes. uh, we haven't talked about that yet. That So I'd sort of like to hear your 
much, much later first blush impressions? Huh. My first impressions. My very first impression was a little bit of panic, honestly. But I think I've mellowed out on that as I've gotten to understand the system. Uh, I guess a big key is that nothing has really rolled out yet. Um, mm. So everything goes active August 1st. So it's hard to say exactly... I can't say, hey, everything is working great, or, oh, this is a real problem, (laughs) because we haven't quite seen the implications yet. I think for the community, if I was just talking from a community standpoint, it's generally very positive, though. From a store situation, I'll be curious to see what happens. But for a community standpoint... I mean, first of all, it seems like it would be very bad for the two other distributors. Um, yes. But there's well, no, no getting around that. Not for the- two, four other distributors. Oh, I thought they were down to three. No, there are five total distributors they were working through. Oh, okay. All right. So then it's very bad for four of them. But yes. do, does this mean, does uh, Alliance have the network to reach everywhere effectively? Is that not really a logistical uh, concern? No, they definitely do. I would say that one of the reasons we dealt with the distributor we did is they had a warehouse in basically the same town as us. So it Mm. made it really handy because in a pinch or something, we could even drive up there real quick and grab something we really needed. And that is not going to be the case for Alliance. So that's, that's, you know, a bummer for us, but then there's probably other stores that are in, you know, the towns that Alliance warehouses are and they are totally fine. So that's, that's more of a unique thing for my stores i would say uh and i do think the shipping is a little bit longer like there's an extra day of shipping but because most asmodi product is moving to a street dated program that's not a problem i think there would be much more uproar about that sort of thing if street dates didn't exist so what about the ability to order from multiple distributors in order to satisfy pre-orders is that something that you you lose some but they should be able to estimate demand better going through one distributor is that well that's the claim the claim is that by going through a single distributor i mean you basically had to as a store figure out the system and often order basically from multiple distributors knowing you would get allocated down to get the level of product that you normally wanted. All of that kind of gaming the system, in theory, is going away because Alliance will decide how much product you get, and that's that. So, How does Asmodee North America benefit aside from like being able to deal with only one person, which you know has some logistical benefits? I but. think that's a huge part of the benefit, honestly, is that they only, they're just shipping to a single warehouse, that single warehouse is dealing with it. Also, Alliance is hiring up a bunch of people who are basically experts in FFG and other Asmodee titles that are going to be working with stores. So they're going to get this kind of level of special expertise from distribution that didn't exist in the past. Um I don't know. They might be hiring those jobs right now. So if you're a big FFG fan, hey, that might be a job opportunity for you. Yeah, I I think, you know, this is getting closer to the kind of distribution model you already see definitely in the comic book industry because comic books are actually... Distributed by Alliance, right? They're distributed by Alliance, (laughs) exactly. Uh, But also, I've seen it in DVDs when that was like all the rage, and also video games. Things got much more consolidated and controlled. And I think that's the key. I think that what I have heard is that one of the concerns as Modi was happening is things like street date were very hard for them to police with five distribution models. 
And so by having a single distributor, their hope is that now they can make sure that the stores are holding up to their end of the bargain. And that was more than any kind of, um, I don't know, more than any other incentive. It sounds like that was the primary incentive for Asmodee that I've heard at least is having that kind of control. So, I mean, this may be a completely naive question, but why did they ever have multiple distributors to start with? Is it just that no distributor could handle the logistics or? Ooh, uh, I mean, that's just the system. That's the local gaming store system. And I think it has to do with different, just like local gaming stores generally are small businesses. Most distributors by distribution standards aren't these massive companies that I think in other industries you see as distributors. So it's all, those are also kind of smaller, more intimate businesses. And that's just the system that the board game industry exists in and has always existed in. Um, so I think that's just, just more of a legacy thing of the way things work. Now, Alliance has always been really, really big. But again, a lot of that has to do with not the board game side of things, but the comic book side of things. Okay. I see. So... I guess that brings me feeling like I'm somewhat up to speed on that one. Right. Um, I, I mean, I guess the real questions would be, how does that impact players, right? Like, who cares about how it impacts stores and distrib- distributors? I mean, from your podcast's audience point of view. Mm-hmm. But from players, I think the impact is um, they basically have separated out stores into three groups, silver, gold, and platinum. See, yeah, this I wasn't sure if this was linked to that. or That was my next question was I've, uh, I've heard yeah. you talk about this. I've heard Travis, Millennium, and Millennium yeah, Games yeah. talk about this. Yeah. And I, I have no idea what this means for the store or for the players and whether it's a distribution thing or whether it's it coming from Yeah, it's all DNA. one big thing that is a switch. And so basically based on how much a store pushes Asmodee product out their door, like just quantity of product they sell, plus how many events they support, plus just the general size of the store specifically to be able to host larger events, determines where you fall on this matrix of silver, gold, and platinum. What happened to bronze? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that myself. <laughs> they were like, we don't want to make anybody feel bad uh, with you know the bronze medal, so we'll start with silver. So yeah, I thought about that too. Um, but anyway, so there's silver, gold, and platinum. And, and the basic idea is that stores that have a larger audience, that have more customer base, are going to get more product and are supporting more Asmodee events. So like, if you're a store that you're really a magic store that just dabbles in the LCGs, and then down the street from you is a store that really supports the LCG community and really focuses on X-Wing, and magic is just like one of the things you kind of sell in your shop, mm-hmm. that second store is now going to be getting much more high-demand product is kind of the system. But not, so. for instance, any discounts or anything like that that sort of rewards you? Aside from being able to push out the volumes that you're already pushing out, there isn't some built-in incentive for the store no there is there is also a a, basically your margins are going to be different as well based on you fall on that and in addition even if you're platinum if you're hitting certain numbers annually your margins can continue to improve over time even beyond so i mean this sounds like it's actually a 
pretty big deal. Um, it's a huge deal, and it's uh, I would say it's a pretty divisive topic in the industry <laughs> as far as whether people are for it or against it. I guess my concerns initially were, will this hurt smaller startup stores? Because one of the things yeah. that I love about our industry is you could basically have a dream of opening you know, your little game store and accomplish that dream and build it into the big, amazing game store over time. That may or may not be hampered by this new system. And I'll, I'll, I'll be watching that very carefully. It's funny because since my stores qualify as platinum and we just have a more established company it in all ways this is technically positive for me mm-hmm. uh, however i really do love the industry i love the nature of this industry it's very unique um, from some of those other industries i described and a lot of that has to do with all the small business entrepreneurialism that exists in the industry and i would hate for any of that to get squashed so i'm hoping that this doesn't do that See, the, the possible advantage, I mean, I'm sure this is the way FFG looks at or Asmodee North America looks at it, is that you wind up with stores that can focus a little bit more and can say, well, we can we can really push the Asmodee North America products or we could, you know, we have Team Covenant that really pushes LCGs, that kind of thing. Right. And then they get rewarded for that, which is essentially advertisement in, in several different ways. Right. The catch is that this isn't distinguishing between different kinds of games, is it? No, so this it's is not. Just saying you're it's pushing ANA products. products. It's all ANA product, absolutely. Uh, so that includes Days of Wonder, Settlers of Catan, all of it. That's Spot too broad a category to really say you're specializing and you're really like you're you're out there and you have game nights for this for Catan or whatever it is, or, or you're, you're there and you're the one driving those sales. Kind when of it's, when it's oh. 500 different products. Here's how I would say it specializes. So to qualify for these different tiers, you have to be running a certain level of organized play a certain quantity of events, basically. And let's face it, things like LCGs and the Star Wars track and that sort of stuff lend themselves better to those organized play programs than, say, Catan and Mm -hmm. uh, Days of Wonder and that kind of stuff. Uh, So I think in that way, it creates some of that focus. And that's why I say, I think for the players... I think that if you are the kind of person who maybe has found yourself snubbed a little bit by your local game store for trying to run Game of Thrones or Netrunner or whatever, I think this might open up a door or an opportunity. Because if you're a store that technically, like by dollars, qualifies for gold, but you're not running enough ANA organized play programs... That's a, I mean, that's a real incentive for you to get those programs running so you can be hitting that next tier. Mm. Well, that's so. You know, if basically what you're saying is you can improve your margins on Catan, your bestseller, if right. you put a little effort on the LCGs. That's exactly right. So that actually sounds like a really nice way. To <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the way that uh, if the that's that's why I actually think. It's good for the community to be aware that this is going on. It's really kind of in the weeds and behind the scenes industry wise. But I think as far as a player base, it's good to know that um, LCGs and X-Wing and all those games now actually the organized play actually matters to the bottom line of the stores. And so that is a shift that probably every game store across the U.S. is going to feel and want to want to 
you know, capitalize on. And so that's why I posted in the Thrones Facebook, hey, you should, you know, at least check in with your store owner and see if they're still interested in you running stuff because I think there's going to be a lot more opportunity in that way. I, I think that the the only immediate drawback that I can see is that it may create a system where it's hard to move up tiers. Yes. Uh, if you're anywhere near a platinum store, they'll have better margins and better ways to push it. And you're, you're I assume, starting out, you're starting out at silver, bronze, yes. or whatever they want to call the bottom <laughs> exactly. category. And so, so this can sort of be a rich-get-richer thing. It could be, and that's why I, I have been assured by what I would consider people smarter than I am, honestly, about these sort of things, that that will not be the case. On my first perusal of things, that was my primary concern. So I'll be I'll be watching very closely, and I've even talked to a few other store owners who are in that like silver tier, who don't want to be in the silver tier, and I've actually offered to just support them and work with them to try and brainstorm ways to help them move up mm-hmm. uh, because I want to see whether they are capable of being successful. Basically the way I, I feel if you are trying to be successful and you are trying to move up those tiers, you should be able to move up those tiers. Right. If you're it's, making that effort, which a lot of stores right now aren't because right. they don't have much of the incentive, but once so they are, yeah. I'm willing to help other store owners, you know, and, and kind of brainstorm and work with them on how we can help them also move up those tiers because I know some of them are just really cool people that I like and I want to help and encourage. So, all right. So, so we should begin to see the effects of this in August. Yeah. Then? And, yeah in August 1st. And I'm really curious because they aren't, they don't really go into the details of how this impacts organized play and how it impacts say choices for regionals choices for even like, will some stores, will you have to be gold to qualify for store championship or something? I have no idea. And so I'll be really curious to see those more concrete ways in which it's going to impact organized play and thus directly impact your audience. Right. Um, so the way it yeah, if, impacts, if it is restricted that way, it builds even further on the rich get richer. If you need to be able to run more events, but you can't even run a store championship unless you're gold. That that's a barrier of entry, right? Yeah, it, it definitely could be. So I guess uh, you have to run a game night kit every week. <laughs> yes. So I'll be watching very carefully. Um, and I, I don't know that I have an opinion one way or another yet because I just I feel like this is a big big change, right? As we talk about it, like we could go down a bunch of rabbit trails of all the different impacts and all the different changes this makes. And so it's really hard for me to speculate on what it will look like two or three years down the road. Um, but I, I'll be curious. I, I think, let me put it this way. I think that the industry is growing and maturing and blowing up. And I do support anybody who is trying new things to mature us as an industry. Even if you try new things and they fail and you're like, mm, that's not really working. We're going to try something else that, to me, is better than not trying anything new. Oh, yeah. That's a tenant of design in general and game design as well. Just yep. you know, fail and iterate faster. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or fail faster, I think, is the saying. Yeah. So certainly certainly, you can see that. I mean, um, I wouldn't necessarily try to assess all of the potential implications over the next three years, but I do like to assess motivation. Right. Yep. What what is their justification for doing this? What is their reason for doing this? I think and they it aligns are... with... Yeah. I think they are looking at other entertainment industries and how they are able to um, release product, control hype, um, do events, 
and saying, we should be able to do that same thing. But in order to accomplish that, we're going to need a greater level of control uh, over what is going on in stores. And since there's no like super chain of board game stores, the easiest way to gain that control is through the distribution level. That sounds like the ending of the interview that sounds like it all all summarized in in a few words (laughs) yeah well thanks for walking me through that patrick so the next thing is possibly our most exciting thing it's that while john has been too busy to record sean and i have been working on something particularly special which is kind of crazy and awesome. Now, I think most people know that I have a PhD and that I work at a university and that I actually I work in some pretty exciting fields and there's a there's a Nobel Prize coming for this field fairly shortly. And we can't but talk about of, it too much. But this is awesome. Okay, sorry. But in in my spare time, I work on something not quite related to microbiology. I'm I'm sort of an amateur time travel. You're guru. a black hole aficionado. And white holes. It makes it, you know if you pair them, that's how that's the easiest way to get time travel. And uh, I think we're on to something. Uh, a lot of people don't know my background as well, of course, as a three D and a four D modeler. I uh, I model a fourth dimension in my spare time. time. It came quite in handy. So what we have is that we have something that we're going to test fire today that we think we can listen. It's it's still fairly fairly constrained. We can listen or speak to future us or past us. I am I so pumped to hear what future me is saying because I know it's going to be highly intelligent. Well, it, I, I kind of think that this means that we can you know find out what decks are going to be popular at Gen Con. We could uh, we we should have an advantage. Um, oh, we're going to share that so with our I, listeners. And there's there's a bit of a catch here. Uh, I can't. Do it precisely. So I think we should try the future, and then I only have enough juice here to do a few weeks, but hopefully we can catch just around Gen Con and get a whole bunch of information from Future Us that can then be good, We're but uh, we shouldn't be off by more than a week or two. Well, yeah. hold on, Alex. Shouldn't we go into the future and find, like, the cure for cancer? Wouldn't that be well, a We won't be talking about the cure for cancer on our podcast until, well, I mean, we should start thinking about talking about the cure for cancer. So exactly. once it gets discovered, we should definitely talk about it. But right now, I can't reach that far into the, I mean, I, I don't have enough power on the grid here to do more than somewhere between like two weeks and a month and a half here. And like, is the cure for cancer going to be out in three? But we should maybe leave some like lotto numbers or something. Yeah, I'm thinking really hard about the lottery right now. (laughs) I'm hoping we get that part. All right. Well, we'll give this our first test fire, and we will be headed to the future. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Excellent, Sean. Most excellent. Yeah. (laughs) Party time, John. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Wall. We're back from a small break. Alex and I celebrated. Canada Day for a few weeks, and Sean, uh, you know, had to travel around the world to do the Fourth of July. So I know it's late in July now, and we have a very special guest joining us today. So Dan's with us from FFG, and Alex, you always like to correct me uh, on what Dan does. So I'm just going to let you talk. Well, I don't know if I've ever heard us refer to him as Dan. 
It's always Daniel. Danny, no? You're, okay. you're Danny, right? I've always been Dan. No one's ever called me anything but Dan. Oh, you're Dan? No, 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 I'm Danny. Okay. <laughs> All right. I was That's having a moment Danny's of right. wonder, wondering what's going on with my head. Uh, well, Danny's in, in charge of everything that matters for Thrones. A- anything that Mercedes isn't in charge of, I guess. <laughs> so he's in charge of everything That's that matters. Everything that matters. Card design. He's He's the person to praise and to blame for every card that comes out there, except, of course, champ cards like yours and mine, John. We bear full responsibility for those. Yeah, I'm sorry, everyone. I could have done better. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. Card templating is way more important than the text on the oh card. Oh, my God. That just gets in the way. <laughs> now, when last we spoke, Danny, it, it was fairly early in your tenure, and we hadn't really seen any products designed just by you. You had sort of said that you'd worked a little bit on the Wolves box, but the second cycle was going to be some stuff that was just a little more you standing alone. Am I misremembering? Uh, no, that's right. Yeah, second cycle was... It's been a long time now, but it was uh, largely Nate, but also a, a few of uh, my designs mixed in there. I actually did most of the kings for that cycle, ended up being me, as well as a, a few of the cards sprinkled in. Since then, it's been mostly me, really, on the blood and gold cycle and the nice wash box, for instance. So the training wheels are off. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, what does Nate's that feel like? Too. It feels good. It's a little scary at first, but Nate's still around. I still have him to fall back on. But it's nice. It's nice to be able to to really take a cycle from start to finish on my own. So, so we're seeing the fruition of some of the things you started, because in this announcement from last week about the, the new cycle, the Flight of Crows cycle, following up on the trend of a cycle per book, you're, you're clearly building off what you were doing in the previous cycle, in the, in the third cycle. Yeah, and I think that's so important, Alex. You know, everyone seems to be talking about Valadro Harris, and that's all they're talking about, but they're missing that, you know, the announcement was actually about how the cycle is coming in and what are the key themes in that cycle. We talked a little bit about that on a show, but I think that that's where people have to start focusing. But this is definitely 100% your cycle again, right? So this is your, your second, really, in the series, Danny? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Blood and Gold was the first one that I really took the lead on, and now Flight of Crows is the the continuation of that, really. And as you saw in the the article, it's uh, following up on a lot of the themes that we started in Blood of Gold, especially with the the bestow mechanic. We're sort of building on that, and um, it's something we'd like to try to do a lot more. Actually, is have these sort of pairs of cycles. As you know, we've had rotation in mind since since the game initially started. Having these two cycles come in together that focus on, you know, linked mechanics or the same mechanic in this case, and then have them stay together throughout their life and eventually rotate out together, I think is uh, it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to allow us to really to push Bestow a lot. So are you really happy with where Bestow is right now? Like, you think you feel that it's complete, you know, uh, framed in these two cycles and you have a very strong mechanic? I think by the by the end of the cycle, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, obviously in Blood and Gold, we we wanted it to be exciting, but we, we played it I think a little more safe, and I think by the end of this cycle we'll have we'll have explored it a lot and be ready to explore something different. I think beyond that, but obviously bestow will always be in our back pocket, and if we ever need to come back to it, well, it'll be there for us. Bestow, you've introduced it, and you said you always have that in your back pocket. Now, if you introduce it in the next cycle after crows, obviously it'll be left standing alone if the other ones rotate out. If you introduce it in a in a deluxe box, it'll be the the, you know, the fourth or fifth deluxe box will be the only ones with it, while the first ones won't. Do you really get to use it again, or do you just sort of have to lay off after you've done your two cycles? Uh, or do you have to do it again in, like, cycle seven and eight, where it gets paired with three and four, and then when nine comes out, the three and four rotate? Right, it's a good question. So, as far as deluxe boxes go, 
we've really been trying to keep those paired with the core set in terms of mechanics and complexity, keep them from adding anything really brand new mechanically. Because they are intended to be an introductory point for new, for newer players. Also because they're evergreen and we don't want to end up in that situation that you mentioned where we have a mechanic that's in a couple evergreen boxes, but we decide we don't want to use it as much anymore. And then suddenly it's left stranded on its own without any support in the cycles. So um, deluxe boxes, are, our plan is to maintain that, that uh, very basic mechanical level. As far as future cycles, it remains to be seen, I guess. We don't want to end up in a situation, I don't think, where we have several new mechanics that have, you know, been introduced throughout the game all cropping up in one cycle and getting things sort of overloaded with different mechanics as ended up happening in some of the the older games, I guess. With that said, there's no rule about how long we would wait before we came back to bestow. It it could come back again as a major theme if we really wanted to in a cycle, in a pair of cycles, or it could be something where we brought it back later alongside a brand new mechanic as sort of a minor theme, and maybe they'd be tied together somehow. So uh, we're just going to take that as it comes and sort of, we might come back to it, but we don't know for sure, I guess. So we saw that the first cycle sort of developed, and then and at the end of it, we have these cards that allow you to mess with Bestow, that allow you to put a little more gold on cards with Bestow, like Unbridled Generosity. Like, the placement of those cards felt weird to me, that they were near the end of the first cycle, until we saw this announcement that the second cycle was building on Bestow. Was it always the plan to to stretch the Bestow keyword across two cycles? And And is that why these cards that sort of change your opinion about it are sort of at the halfway point? Uh, yeah, that, that really was uh, a lot of the plan from the start. And, uh, you know, part of putting those cards towards the end is we want them to have something to do. You know, we don't want to put them in the first pack when there's only a couple of Bestow cards for each faction. But putting them at the end of the cycle, it changed your evaluation of all the cards in that first cycle, which is cool. But then it also, going into the, the Flight of Coast cycle, sheds a, you know, uh, a whole different light on the, the new cards that we're seeing spoiled, including, you know, obviously some of the ones we saw today. So, you know, talking about, you know, rotating these cycles out together, I know Netrunner is rotating out really soon. And I'm not a Netrunner player. Mm-hmm. But I know Alex is watching it with, like, bated breath to see how that rotation works. Uh, I guess you probably are, too, because you're going to, I'm guessing, draw from that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm really curious to see uh, what it what it ends up doing in Netrunner and how the community responds and how it how it shifts the metagame. And, you know, obviously it's a little ways off in Thrones, but it'll be, it'll be really nice to have seen one rotation in another big game and be able to sort of plan ahead a little more and see exactly how we want to handle that transition in our design of the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth cycles as we, as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Shifting back to Thrones a little bit, I'm actually excited to see how people react to uh, cards that are coming out now with the Iron Bank and Oathkeeper, and uh, I really, I think they're really interesting designs and, and how nedly we, they are. We talked about the basic bestow stuff last week. Don't, yeah, no, <laughs> we don't, we don't need any of that. Yeah, we don't have to go over the article and just start randomly reading things, Sean. We don't have to be like Queensman, three gold, intrigue icon, military. Oh. Reaction. After you marshal Queensman, <laughs> choose an opponent and look at his or her hand. Then you may kneel a non-Baratheon character to choose and discard one non-character card from their hand, because I've done it before. The only it, reason I let you do that is because it's a good segue into my next question for Danny. Ah, <laughs> oh, John. Uh, but, no, really, actually, I, I was somewhat uh, curious about that, so it also mentioned that one of the themes of the cycle is to push more cross-factions. Why? And why was that necessary? And 
I always got the feeling at the beginning that the banners were a stopgap measure to make the core something you had more options with, and that we're seeing more and more fealty. Agendas don't allow that much mixing. Why? Why banners again? Why alliance again? I mean, personally, I always I saw the banners as a bit more than that. Always, I want them to always be part of the game in some fashion. And as you alluded to, as more and more agendas come out, we're going to see the opportunity cost of playing a banner get higher and higher and higher. You know, if you're playing a banner, you're not getting this awesome agenda ability that you could have. And also, obviously, as the card pool expands, it becomes much, much easier to build a mono-faction deck as you get more and more cards in your faction that, that can work towards your strategy. You don't need those banner cards as much. But I do want to see the banners continue to see to see play in some capacity. And uh, I think here in the fourth cycle is a pretty important time in the game's life for the banners. It's when they're really starting to feel the squeeze more than ever, and this seems like a good time to really bring them back to the forefront as they sort of fall into obscurity, I guess. With such a large card pool and like all these mm-hmm. new interactions that you're inducing, uh, introducing John, at the... John, you're a first edition player and you're calling this a large card pool? <clears throat> I was going to well, say, this card pool is tiny, so... <laughs> I, I, I agree in general, but I think it's getting bigger and harder to manage as we introduce more and more uh, mechanics. Like you've taken control of that in some ways by you know bringing bestow across cycles, but now with the introduction of this interplay between factions, you get more and more mechanics. And I was wondering more for the future of the card pool as it gets bigger, how you're going to try to handle that. Is it you know we'll play it by ear a little bit and adjust depending on uh, what we need. I'm not going to say that there's always going to be a new mechanic every two cycles or there's always going to be one every one cycle you know well it'll depend on the the needs of the cycle and where it's going in general yeah we're um especially up to this point we've taken a, a pretty conservative approach to try and keep keep complexity down keep things from getting out of hand too early in the game's life and we're going to see more mechanics going forward uh but i don't think there's going to be an explosion it's not going to be tons of new mechanics it's going to maintain a sort of uh, a more steady pacing and again we'll have rotation to keep things from ever getting too too out of hand the way uh, that they had the potential to but before rotation existed since our listeners are always bugging me to ask you this and you're on i'll do that um they're always you know asking if old mechanics from 1.0 those diehard fans that followed to 2.0 if they're going to come back the one i always hear about is shadows everyone always talks about shadows um do you see shadows coming in two, three, four, maybe who knows six cycles from now? Do you think that might ever make a, a comeback, or for now, or are you just breaking new ground? After all, you designed the kings, and you're the new king of thrones, right? You don't need that old shadows. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Uh, something we're definitely conscious of, uh, and we have been in these first few cycles, is making sure that the second edition feels like its own thing, feels like it's not just a retread of first edition. And that's a big part of why we, we went with Bestow as the first big new mechanic, is that it's it's something that wasn't a mechanic in first edition. It really makes second edition feel like it's its own entity, its own thing. And I think that was important. Um, with that said, obviously some of the, the old first edition mechanics, like Shadows, as you alluded to, are incredibly popular with players. And we'd be remiss if we didn't at least uh, consider the possibility of them coming back at some point. I would not be surprised to see Shadows return at some point in the future, but uh, as to when that will be, I, I can't say. Speaking of old mechanics and old keywords, what are your requirements for adding a new keyword to the game? Bestow seem to sort of fit in naturally, but um, if, if you were considering adding a new keyword, what are your baseline requirements? No pressure. That's an easy question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I expect you to break out the design documents. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a, a hard and fast rule, I wouldn't say, but obviously every new keyword you introduce is it's going to add complexity. It's going to make the barrier to entry that much higher for, for new players. And that's something that's, that's, that's pretty important is that, uh, I think an issue in that's, that, uh, comes up sometimes is LCGs is that people feel overwhelmed if they get into it, you know, three or four years after it started, but there's just, there's just too much to take in. So anytime we, we, we want to introduce a new keyword, we have to look at it and see how much is it going to add to, to pay off that complexity and how much can we really use it? Like, you don't want a keyword that's only going to go on a few cards in a cycle that's really not worth the added vocabulary barrier, I don't think. Once we see a keyword where it's like, oh yeah, we can we can put this on a few cards in each faction in this cycle, then then it starts to look a lot more appealing. And especially if it, we really feel like it's going to add to the game, then it, then it starts to look pretty good to us. So, so you've heard it here, uh, 1.0 stalwart confirmed. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that, that was the keyword that, that Nate came to... I mean, people who listened to our cast way, way back when we first interviewed Nate, the reaction was, Nate admits stalwart doesn't work or something. <laughs> it wasn't his exact wordings, but he, he was describing some of the limitations of the keyword as it, as it bogged down the game because you tended to see the same card again and again. And So one of the complaints I always heard from people about a living card game and the release cycle was that the card pool released so slow that after a while, if you're a competitive player or someone that's playing all the time, you didn't really feel like there was big changes happening. And you guys completely proved them all wrong with Valerio Harris. Are we going to be seeing this type of like system shock to the game uh, happening at other places? Is this something that you're planning for now to kind of shake things up with uh, you know that type of effect? Yeah, we, we do want to keep the meta fresh and make sure that there are always new cards coming out that make you really take another look at the game, like Valador Harris, as you mentioned. I don't know if they'll always be as as splashy and as extreme as uh, as the new Valar, but we do want to have cards like that from time to time, for sure, to, uh, to keep the metagame interesting and, and keep things fresh for, for long-time players, for sure. But I, I guess it, this also sort of allows us to, to reflect a little bit back on the last, you know, over a year since we talked to you. you, we've seen the game go through its very, very early phase where where cards made a, a big splash simply because they were an additional card in a very small pool, and then we see that effect start to slow down, and, and we've seen sort of the, the third cycle in almost all of its entirety at this point. What are what are some of the features that you've the landscape that you've looked at over the last sort of year of design as the products that you designed probably two years ago are coming to light and and how does that help you recalibrate as you're going forward into whatever you're designing now? Probably like cycle eight or nine, <laughs> something like that. It's been uh, it's been really interesting, honestly. It's always really cool to see how your designs that you tested, of course, but you never really know what's what's going to happen until you get them out there in the real world with thousands of people trying to trying to break them. So um, it's definitely been a, a learning experience on a lot of them. The biggest thing I've learned is just how hard it is to, to predict a metagame in a testing environment. You know, you can you can look at where the game is now and look at what cards are coming down the pipeline, but it's just so hard to to see what the game is going to look like even you know six months down the line. So that's been it's been cool to to see it all come out and see cards that I thought were good actually be good, but also see cards that I thought would have an impact not have as much an impact as uh, as I thought they would. It's it's really interesting and. 
overall, it's been it's been an exciting past year. You know, obviously we had some growing pains early on, but I feel like the meta has really come into its own a lot recently. And uh, I think the game's as good as as good as it's ever been here in July. I have to agree. I mean, I'm looking forward to the new cards. You know, uh, of course. But yeah, it's it's a, it's in a pretty good place. You know, we're gonna we're gonna see Martel take it here in a, a week or two at uh, Gen Con for sure. Of course, hundred percent chance. Yeah, hundred percent chance will be Martel in the field. I have a question. There, there, there probably isn't a good way to answer. So you said it's really really hard to judge the meta game. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that at some point you? I, I don't mean give up. That's not the, the way I want to use it. But a, a more laissez-faire approach of saying like. This card will be interesting, rather than than trying to say, well, oh, if wall decks are a problem, I need to have an answer for it when it might mean nothing in nine months. Given that it's hard to predict or almost impossible to predict, trying again. I ho- hopefully that doesn't come out wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, certainly you don't you don't see shine. You give up on on the idea that you'll ever be able to to know for certain what's going to be good and what's going to be bad, but. You can still make very uh, educated guesses as to to what could be good, and make sure that there are answers to that in the pool. Make sure that you know maybe wall decks will be good, maybe they won't, but if they are good, there'll there'll be a way to respond, right? And part of it is, as you said, just making interesting cards and seeing what players can do with them, and not worrying. I mean, you're you're worried about making them balance, but not worrying too much about does this slot into what I think will be a meta deck a year from now. Just, you know, making making cards that, that are cool on their own. But another part of it is trying to design, you know, a variety of interesting, cool deck types. Not that, you know, we're trying to lock people into a deck, but, you know, having giving people the options of different decks and knowing that some or all of them could be out there and just trying to keep that in mind as you as you design more cards. As for design of cards that uh, that turn out to surprise you, in the last maybe two and a bit months, I have probably used newly made lords and we do not sows on Brandon's gift like 11, 12 times. <laughs> but that card is wrecking That's me. fantastic. That card is just, ugh. It's so good. And I'm eating my words from when we reviewed it. I, I won't deny that there's a little part of me that, that looks at the reviews and every time <laughs> you see a card that gets one star, you think, okay. I have to design. This is a challenge accepted moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to have worked with the Brandon's gift. Now I just need to think of the next card that we completely trashed in review and <laughs> magically predict what you'll have for us in the future. <laughs> That's a good question. Is there any particular card from previous reviews that just got lambasted that you feel will become stronger with coming editions? There are always cards that that come out that are you know seeds for. Uh, the future that people justifiably trash because the deck doesn't exist yet that, that I'd look at and say, Oh, but, but soon that, that will be a deck. A lot of the, the drown God cards that were sort of, uh, we've put in as teasers in the first couple cycles. I think I'm pretty excited to see how those come into their own, uh, starting with the cycle. That's one that, uh, that's one that I'm pretty excited for. I am too, as a, actually, a big, uh, great joy player. I, that, that does touch on basically the last question I had, which is this idea of, of breadth versus depth within a faction. I mean, right. s- some factions right now have a single theme. Some factions have three they can build. Right. 
I mean, is the goal for each faction to have roughly as many decks, or, or are some factions supposed to be specialists? The goal, long term, is for for every faction to get there, to get to the spot where they have three or or four more decks supporting different themes that that can be played out of that faction. And definitely, there were some conscious decision made decisions made early on to focus some factions more and branch out other factions more. And part of that is tied to the, the deluxe expansions. We didn't want some sort of monstrously focused Stark deck that has twice as many cards as all the others coming out of Wolves of the North, for instance. So they got their their breadth a lot sooner because, uh, because of that. But as we go forward, we are trying to make every faction more diverse and have a few options in each one. And Greyjoy is a great example where they spent the bulk of the first couple cycles pretty much just focused on the, the unopposed angle. And I'm hopeful that by the end of this Flight of Crows cycle, there will be uh, at least two other deck types that will be reasonable options for Greyjoy as well. Awesome. That's and, great news. Yeah. T- Sean says that like he's going to play Greyjoy that isn't just unopposed anyway. <laughs> there can be like 11 different Greyjoy decks and Sean's still going to play the same one. The trick is to make it seem to your opponent that you're not playing unopposed. They <laughs> <laughs> can see my Greyjoy house card. They know what it is now. But when I have options. It's true, though. Actually, there are cases where you can't predict someone's plot deck from their faction card, and that gives you a huge advantage, or that gives your opponent a huge advantage. And other factions right now that you can predict their, their plot deck from their faction card. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So even just having the other options viable, you're right, I think gives... a a deck that doesn't gain any cards, but just the the other opportunities it could have gives it more viability. All right, well, that wraps up the questions that I had. If you guys had any more, John, Sean? Oh, that covers everything I had as well. Sounded good. Cool. Cool. Thank you. All right. Well, Danny, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Thank you. Surviving. I, how how hot is Minneapolis in the summer right now? And, and it's uh, right here. Mid-90s? Those are made-up temperatures. We don't do Fahrenheit. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Mid-30s. 30s. 30s sounds right. <laughs> there we go. Just uh, just do that. Um, yeah. Well, a much, much better temperature for delivering mail, right? And uh, and presumably much, much better temperature for a uh, designer as well. <laughs> that was yes. really off, but all right. You don't remember? Uh, Danny used to be a mailman? I do remember, but... I mean, lure me back in. Yeah. That was awesome. I'm completely blown away. What I'm really like a new set with some kind of awesome. But more importantly, we get to interview Dan. We get to interview Dan, but I'm actually annoyed with myself. I mean, in that interview, I cut you off when you were going to read all the spoiler cards. Sorry, right. yeah. What are you thinking? You should maybe write a note not to do that. Do you, you think start that to, to, as it comes back? You should start uh, to practice. Yeah, we should there. think about that. Well, I mean, I don't want to mess with the space-time continuum too much, so we'll obviously leave that episode as it is when we record it in the future. Although we can probably just record ourselves and play it back in the future so we don't have to record the episode. Anyway, we'll see how that plays out, but uh, we'll make a note in the future to... When we, when we read spoilers, not to cut us off, and that's my bad. Sorry about that. So if we can go into the future, can, can we go into the past? Uh, we can, actually, and I can do that much more precisely, and it takes a lot less energy. Can we send those spoilers from the future 
into the past past like podcast absolutely like, not super why not because that would mess with the space time if we give our past selves information we'll change how we will have acted no no okay alex check this out we're not going to give ourselves past information we're just going to like prompt them for a card or two because how many more viewers are we going to have if we're always divulging like one or two cards that are going to come out in like a year and we could go back and listen to things in detail and like and record snippets that were not recorded last time and things like that. There's there's a use to going back and I can do it much more precisely. I could like take us back to the first episode, but we cannot talk to ourselves. But it's the same button to talk there and here, right? It's the same button and well, I mean we just won't talk to them. We'll just make sure right, that we we'll don't put any sound into the thing. Like in the end, like in the, the the credits kind of of one of our casts and then people will start getting this free card information and we'll never have heard it. But I listen to our episodes, John. I'm sure there's a way. Just because you don't listen to our episodes. (laughs) There's a way we could figure this out. (laughs) No, no. I do think we should, we should go back uh, because I think that's, if we can, we should, we should go back and listen to our first episode just a bit. Let's do it. And, uh, and see all the dumb stuff that we didn't record and maybe is worth putting now. So, uh, so let's head back in time. Can't wait to hear myself in those old... Oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Oh, that is a little awkward. Sean's gone. Uh, <laughs> we're so we're guess, uh, connected to the past, so we don't have Sean. Is so why this is we're where, this if we were to there leave lotto numbers... Not that I'm saying I would, Alex. Oh, look, no, listen, we're talking about why we founded this podcast. So why are we doing this, John? Seriously, what, what uh, the reasons we found this podcast? Audience. We're trying to, uh, as the those title suggests, beyond the wall, we're trying to incorporate some of the European, Chinese, basically uh, the, uh, other the, metas. There were good reasons to, global, to, uh, to start uh, the cast. So that's why I mean, there, there weren't many other casts. The, the, the other casts were, were getting a little sloppier uh, and in, one in how they were delivering content. We had people going to have guests on, a more international perspective, more of the Octagon stuff. We did all that. Come on and, we did. And discuss yeah, no, I, I like, Tell us I like hearing us right now talking about the reasons we did it. Man, even if you think back, uh, help us we, we actually we wanted to share more of that information, yeah, so and you shared a, a, much higher, a future winning uh, deck list. The deck list that you won your champ card with. You built that on the cast. Because we tried to share as much information as we could. That was one of our tenets, right? Wednesday, July 5th, 0409 33 46 47 49 bonus 10. If you hit broadcast on that, it would be a terrible. It would mess with the space-time continuum. Alex, and it, I already pressed the button. But we could be wiped out from exist. 